0: once again. This is Rod stepping in before we get to the meat of the episode, the interview that I conducted with Robert Monnell. First, a few notes. The sound quality on this is a little iffy at times, and I apologize for that. We were developing a few Skype problems just before and occasionally during the recording session, and that causes a few odd clicks and sounds that i'm not happy with in the audio but since overall the conversation went very well and i was just thrilled to be able to talk to mr monel at length i'm gonna leave that alone and just put the show out there as it is just be aware it doesn't sound as good as i would like it to but it's far from a disastrous recording thank goodness just bear with it and i think you'll be happy As for why I would want to talk to or interview Robert Monell, he's someone who's writing on cult cinema and especially European cult cinema I've been a fan of for more than 20 years at this point. I first became aware of Mr. Monell's name attached to something of importance in the Eurotrash world when he wrote a magazine-length introduction to Ricardo Freda and his films for European Trash Cinema back in the late 90s. That was an amazing work and definitely did a lot to inspire my love of Mr. Freda and kind of widen my view of what was out there and viewable in the world of Italian horror and just European horror and European cult cinema in general. He runs a couple of websites online, including Cinemadrome, which is a great discussion place for films with lots and lots of information and opinion out there about lots of different types of cult film, skewed heavily toward the Eurocult stuff, which is why I'm so thrilled with it. And he also runs the blog I'm in a Jess Franco State of Mind, which is a go-to place for learned opinion on Mr. Franco's work. Now, In this show, what we decided to sit down and talk about is both Mr. Monel's and mine fascination with cult film collecting and how it's changed over the decades. Both of us are of an age that uh, allows us to look back a few decades and see how the obsession with collecting these types of films has changed, and uh, what we like, what we dislike, the uh, odd side roads that have been taken, and the pluses and minuses of different formats. So... Hope you enjoy this. It's an odd conversation. Since we don't focus on a single film and kind of pick it apart, it's much more of an overview of a different kind of subject. But that's one of the joys of having a podcast like this, is the subject matter can grow and change and occasionally stretch into odd shapes. So thank you once again for listening to the show. I think you'll have fun with this, and uh, we'll talk to you again next time.
1: Or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio! It's 1966. The space race is on. The Cold War is heating up. And giant monsters are destroying Japan. Daikaiju Attack from award winning author Stephen D. Sullivan. Now available in all ebook formats on Amazon, Smashwords, Drive Through Fiction, and other quality outlets. Find more info at DaikaijuAttack.com, SDSullivan.com and the Daikaiju Attack group on Facebook. Join the action today.
2: Hello and welcome to the Bloody Pit. This is Rod Barnett and tonight I have a very different kind of show for us. Tonight I have a guest that I've never met in person, but I've been an admirer of from afar for years. His name is Robert Monell, and uh, these days I know him primarily through his amazing blog uh, about Jess Franco, which is called "I'm in a Jess Franco State of Mind." It's a great place to go for a learned opinion on, uh, well, Mr. Franco and a number of other Europe things. So, Mr. Monell, I know you from your writing, but uh, I know that you've done a number of different things lately. What uh, what are your recent uh, I know you. I know you get a lot of stuff in print as well. What uh, what things have, are the most recent pieces that you uh, gotten in, into print publication?
3: Well, hi Rod. Thanks for having me tonight. And let's um, let me go back a bit. Right, recently I've been. Although I've had this blog for I would say a good fourteen years now, and I've had another website called Cinema where I review like Blu-rays and recent Blu-ray releases and do reviews and DVD reviews. Uh, It's called Cinemadrome. That's another website I've had for about 10 years. Uh, I've been getting more into print, back into print. I used to write for a lot of zines and fanzines and magazines like European Trash Cinema, Blood Times, uh, some magazines in uh, Belgium and Spain and uh, Italy and the UK. And uh, these are articles about different types of cult movies, uh, some Italian some um, Spanish, uh, some spaghetti westerns. Recently I've been writing for a magazine called uh, Our Decades, published by Jeremy Irons. They've uh, been out for a few years. Uh, last year I did a cover story, an uh, interview with Jess Franco before he died. And before that, I did a... The issue before that, I did a, a story on David Lynch's uh, Twin Peaks reboot, uh, Twin Peaks The Return, which... I thought it was the best thing I saw in 2017 in terms of a movie. It was a kind of an 18-hour movie, wasn't it? And uh, I was very impressed. I saw it on Showtime, and, uh, and I wrote about that, about the first, the first part of that series. And uh, now I've started a new magazine, kind of a sister magazine called Soledad, and I've published, just had a fiction piece published. It's a science fiction story. Called Subliminals, which is a but an alternate reality planet where uh, all these subliminal, alternate reality, virtual reality things happen. and
2: uh, Have you uh, have you been writing fiction for long, or is this something oh, that's oh, been yes. going on for a very long time?
3: Oh, oh yes, yes. I I've been writing fiction since the late '60s, <laughs> and I started out when I was in high school and I just about graduated from high school in the late '60s. I wrote a short story and it was published. academic magazine and uh, then throughout the 1970s I was writing about mainstream films for a local newspaper but I was also writing fiction I was writing kind of prose and short pieces. I wrote a number of plays uh, for the Contemporary Theater of Syracuse, where I live, and uh, some some of them had stage readings. I wrote some film scripts, I made some short films. I've been doing it all along, I've been writing in various mediums, plays, film scripts, short stories. This most recent one was just published January 1st, 2019, and uh, it's available through Amazon. It's called Soledad Magazine. And its I heard it's the number one seller of new magazines. So we're doing pretty well with it. And I'm very proud to be uh, part of it.
2: Okay, yeah, congratulations. Anytime, any, anytime you get something published, it's amazing. But I, I can't even imagine having the, the tenacity to get some fiction published. I just, wow. Congratulations.
3: Thank you. Yeah, it's a science fiction piece. I like science fiction. Uh, the, uh, I've written a few film scripts were short films and they were science fiction. One of them was made into a web series and another was into a short film and they are both made in uh, Russia by a Russian filmmaker. And this one is a science fiction piece. It has a lot of film influence in it. So it's very visual. It's written like it's kind of written like almost a film. And, uh, I'm very influenced by film and cinema in my fiction writing.
2: And, uh, uh, do you I'm, this is just a side question. Are you uh... Are you influenced at all by filmmakers from the Soviet Union, like Tarkovsky? Yes,
3: yes, yes. Oh, 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 yes, definitely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Andrei Tarkovsky is one of my favorite filmmakers. I mean, he passed away a long time ago. But uh, yeah, Stalker and uh, his, I think, and Solaris are two of the greatest science fiction films I've ever seen. So I I like the existential quality of his science fiction. But it's very visual, too. Yes. And it's, I'm also um, impressed by other types of science fiction films. Not, not so much mainstream, comp- contemporary, big-budget science fiction films, although I did very much like the Blade Runner 2049. That, that, that I think, was a very impressive film.
2: That was, a, that was surprisingly good. I did not expect that to be as good as it was.
3: It was very visual, and once again, I emphasize the word visual. I like Film in general, whether it's science fiction or drama or whatever, to be visual and rather than verbal. Okay, and uh, and that really was it, it. just knocked me out visually. I didn't mind sitting through it almost three hours. And of course, the original Blade Runner was another very impressive film. I thought I thought it was Ridley Scott's really best film. And uh, uh, going back to that Alien and uh, the film that's based upon Mario Bava's. Uh, Planet of the Planet
2: Vamp- of Vampires,
3: yeah. yeah th- that was a big influence on my recent short story. There's, there's oh, a, that's intriguing. There's 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 no vampires in Planet of the Vampire, but there's a va- real vampire in this uh, outer space, virtual reality kind of adventure that I've recently written. And I'm so that, curious, uh,
2: have you been able to see, uh, I believe it came out last year, Alex Garland's film, Annihilation?
3: No, but I'm, I'm going to watch it on uh, Prime. Amazon Prime has it now. You can watch it. I'm a member, so I'm going to watch it.
2: <laughs> it's it reminds me a good bit of um, well, you'll you'll see what I'm talking about. It's uh, it's better, very literary, very cerebral, but it also is visually very impressive. I, I'd be curious to know what you think of it when you see it. I I went out of my way to make sure I saw it theatrically when it was out. Now that's
3: that's another thing we're going to get into. I hope in this conversation was different platforms where we can watch. I consider that kind of a cult film. I guess it, I don't know if it really was a big box office hit, but I've heard a lot. Oh, it, of,
2: it was not. Yeah, right.
3: I've, I've, I think it I think it did play here. I live in a medium-sized town Syracuse, New York, and we don't have an Alamo draft house here. And we, we have a few kind of dinner theaters, a movie tavern, and Regal Cinemas. We, we There's a lot of movies we don't get. We, that played here for like a week. <laughs> I didn't have a chance to see it and I heard it was very good, and apparently it didn't do well at the box office, but...
2: Well, they knew it... They had no faith in it. They took a look at it and realized that they had bankrolled a a movie that they didn't have any real faith in. So this was the only country that that they released it theatrically, I think. Mm -hmm.
3: Yes, it sounds like a cerebral uh, science fiction film, and that's what I like, a film that's both cerebral and science fiction and visual. That's what I like about the Blade Runner films, and that's... Uh, and I will see that on the Amazon Prime. I think Amazon Prime is a really good streaming platform because it's very inexpensive, and they have new cult films like that, and they have a lot of older movies, which we would call cult movies, very obscure ones sometimes where you can't I know. you can't see them anyplace else, and they're there all of a sudden. And I'm very pleased with their. I think it's very much worth. The, what is it? Ten dollars, nine dollars? You pay a month to get it, or ten? They raised it, but it's very much worth it.
2: I have yeah. to say, uh, one of the one of my favorite things uh, is uh, having you point out some obscure film that's now available for streaming on Amazon Prime, and I'm immediately bookmarking it, trying to find it later
3: on. Yeah, and I'll be watching the this annihilation. I'll probably watch it in the next few days, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. Of course, it's not the big screen. I don't have the biggest, you know, uh, computer screen. I mean, people now you can watch a film on your cell phone, and uh, so there's all different sized screens. I I have, you know, I have a huge screen in my bedroom, a home theater. I have a a smaller screen in my living room. I have old-fashioned analog TVs. I, I have. DCRs, I have new Blu-ray players. So I have, like different types of screens, different kind of viewing experiences. And I think that's what we're going to kind of maybe get into here. There's,
2: yeah, that's uh, that's part of the there. conversation that you wanted to have, which was kind of the changes over time of mm-hmm. cult film collecting. Because both of us, you and I are both very much movie collectors, and we, <laughs> we both tend to move in the cult movie circles. Right. Um, and... Your bona fides are very obvious, but when you know, how long have you been collecting? And I mean,
3: how, do you go back to the like, eight millimeter days? No, I didn't. I didn't. Believe it or not, I did not get into the eight millimeter collecting. I, although I had friends who did have some eight with what were they eight and super eight millimeter films they collected. And I saw. I yeah. remember going to a friend's house and seeing them, and I think my 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 think my dad, my father. He had no 8 millimeter projector. He had some older movies on there, okay, which I didn't really get into that much. But I didn't really get into collecting. They were around in the 1960s and 70s. 8 millimeter movies. Now a lot of them you can find on DVD. They put them on DVDs as extras. I um, I recently get last year I bought the DVD of Web of the Spider, the the remake of uh, Castle of Terror, the Antonio Margariti film. It's a, yeah, yeah. Garage House DV, uh, Blu-ray. I'm great sorry, Blu-ray. It's a great Blu-ray, uh, and it's got the Super Eight, millimeter, eight millimeter version of that film. It like less, less twenty minutes long. It's two parts, and it's wonderful to see it. It's in black and white, but it's wonderful to see this old eight millimeter, you know, composite of it, this eight millimeter uh, cut-down of it, and you get to see the long version of the film, the Italian version, the longer version of the film that wasn't on dvd before now and, and they all look great they have commentaries on there and uh, you know they keith crocker and george Reese who i've admired do the commentary on it and it's just a really really terrific blu-ray and that's the kind of thing you can do with a blu-ray you can have like super eight eight millimeter uh things from the 60s and 70s you can have something longer versions you can have commentaries you can have multiple commentaries so, yeah, this is something we could never have imagined back in the... when these movies were first being... we were discovering them on video back in the 80s. So,
2: when uh, when did you get the collecting bug? How old were you?
3: Now, that came later, because in the uh, 1970s, I was writing for, like, local newspaper on mainstream movies, okay? Mainstream movies were very different back then, you know? Uh, things like The Devils and uh, by Ken Russell and... Uh, Robert Altman and Sam Peckinpah were making terrific films which might even be kind of cult films now and you can see them in mainstream theaters um,
2: yeah that uh, was that was a very different time and a very good time for for filmmakers the the studios were falling apart had no idea what to do and so they, they allowed a lot of really ballsy uh, choices to be made by, uh, you know, a lot of young guns and some not so young guns. If you think about Peck and Paul, but right. some people who were willing to take some chances, spend some money on some rather radical things, and that's why one of my favorite periods of uh, American cinema is the late '60s all the way through the late '70s. There's just right. some amazing experimentation there. Yeah, Altman, Peck and Paul, and all the people connected to
3: that. And I used to go out to the movie. I used to see just about every new movie that Altman. And I was in my 20s, and I just went out all the time. I would go out with my girlfriend, I would go out with male friends, I would go out alone sometimes, and stuff was, I mean, you had David Cronenberg and Brian De Palma.
2: Yeah. You
3: know, all these, you know, terrific films, and a lot of stuff showing at the drive-in. I mean, a lot of the, where I first saw a lot of the movies that I ended up collecting on video was at the drive-in. It wasn't at the mainstream movie theaters. I remember seeing an Andy Milligan double bill in 1971, <laughs> 72 at a drive in. And I said, oh my God, these are the worst movies I've ever seen. I can't believe something would make a movie. I mean, when, when you see those movies on a big drive in screen, they look like Grindhouse copies, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and the color was bad, and they were all. I couldn't believe how. I think, I remember it was, I think, Torture Dungeon and uh, the other one. Uh, uh, the, the, the one about uh, cannibals, the one where the, based on, uh, I can't oh, remember.
2: The Body Beneath?
3: No, it was another one, and, uh, the, the, the one based on Sweeney Todd, okay? I can't oh, remember. okay. It, it, it was two Andy Milligan films, and they, they looked terrible on the, on the big, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, driving screen, but, you know, I enjoyed them. They were, they, they were like something I'd never seen before, okay? And, uh, I remember seeing those. I remember seeing The Shriek of the Mutilated, a film by Michael Finlay, uh, and then, you know, David Cronenberg's Rabbit I saw at the drive-in in the late 70s. And, oh, wow. And films like Private Parts, and uh, yeah, a lot of Roger Corman stuff, like Death Race 2000, I remember seeing that, which I just got on, you know, I just got that on a budget DVD or Blu-ray recently. And, uh, oh, you know, films like that, you know, they, they weren't playing in the Mainstream hardtop theaters, but they were at the drive-in. You know the, the you know the Mario Bava's *Twitch of the Death Nerve*, the *Slaughter Hotel* was at the drive-in. The night Evelyn came out, of the night Evelyn came out of the grave. That movie used played at the drive-in every summer for 1972, 71, 73, 74. And it kept bringing that movie back. The, the night, same title. Yeah, the night Evelyn came out of the grave it was an Italian giallo, and I, remember, I, I never actually got to see that one. I just remember seeing the title. And I always wondered. I thought it was an American movie. I had no idea it was an Italian Giallo type film. I had no idea.
2: Well, and, what was the first format that you uh, collected cult movies on?
3: Well, then after that, the 70s, the only place to see these movies were at the drive-in, basically. And, and on, you know, late-night television. Then when I got my first VCR in 1985, everything changed.
2: When was what was the
3: year you got it? 1985. I got my first VCR oh, in 1985. Wow. That changed everything.
2: Okay. Yeah. We. Um, my. Uh, I, my uh, stepmother was a doctor. Uh-huh. So we had uh, a VCR a little earlier than 85, and <laughs> not too bad little library of pre-recorded tapes.
3: Uh huh. So you were started earlier. than me.
2: Oh yeah, I got very lucky. We had uh, it, it was all it was whatever we could tape off of things like HBO, but also uh, films that my uh, stepmother would purchase because she really really loved them. So you know, and then there were none. The haunting things of that nature I was able to watch again and again.
3: Right. So I remember the first time I saw a movie on a VCR was I was over at my uh, ex girlfriend's house and she had um she had invited me over for dinner she had a she actually had a, a, this was 1981 or 1982, and she was, had. A, she had gotten a job out of town, and she saying goodbye, so we had a dinner together, and she said, look what I've got. She had this VCR, and she put a, a, a tape into it. It was a Japanese science fiction film. I'm trying, to think, I'm trying to think what it was. I think it was like, I think it was like Rodin or one of the science fiction films. I couldn't believe it, you know. That was, a, that was the first time I saw, I think, a video cassette being put into a VCR a VCR and play it on a television. And that was in the early 80s, but I didn't get one of my own until the mid-80s. For cult
2: movie collecting, that would, uh, it would be difficult to get those things in the 80s outside of, uh, well, let's just say, mm, illegally copying tapes that you might rent. Right. That's what I did. That's what I did, too. <laughs>
3: right. Now, I would I would go out to the... the what when, when I got into, first of all, there was a local video store which uh, cult movie buff was the clerk there, and he just pointed out what sections they had. They had stuff, you know, all over the place. They didn't have, like, a cult movie section, but he said, check this out, check this out, and, you know, that's where I, then I started, they had, like, uh, John Rowan's Zombie Lake. I remember that, the Wizard video. They had a few Jess Frankel films. Like, uh, they had, uh, they had uh, some Italian films.
2: Oh, yeah. They, I, there would be the occasional oddity that would turn up and you know in the 80s when I would see those things they were they were just weird films I didn't know what the hell they were
3: right right and I, I, I didn't either and I had no idea how many actually were, were had, had been made like in the 60s and 70s that never played in theaters they just didn't play in theaters here but they did come out on tape or they did play in theaters but maybe in maybe in Manhattan Times Square but they didn't play in local theaters you know and, and that's where I got into Paul Nashy too. I didn't I, I had no idea there was a guy named Paul Nashy in Spain making Werewolf and other kinds of horror films. In the 1970s I had no idea that he was doing that. I didn't know about it. Then I remember going to a video store one day and seeing they had a bunch of movies by Paul Nashy. They had like Vengeance of the Zombies, they had like one called Blood Moon which was the first I think one of the, the big hit which started his career they had uh, Horror Rises from the Tomb I think that was the first one I rented out and I just that just knocked me out he plays like a, a kind of a guy who comes back from the dead and he's killing people he's got a vampire with him and that really made me a Paul and I actually I actually bought I found a video cassette of this movie at a store which I bought because I wanted to watch it over and over it was an old charter video and I bought that that was the first movie I think I ever purchased on VHS. Was the Paul Naschy film, "Horror Rises from the Tomb"?
2: Wow. Um, the pe- people I know, like my uh, cast co-host Troy, they saw uh, they saw "Horror Rises from the Tomb" initially on television. Right. Did you ever catch any of those films on no. television, or was no, it no, video no. first?
3: No, that was video first. I saw it in the video store. And that, that's what I mean. I used to watch a lot of television on cable in the early '80s, and I used to. At night we had a cha- we had a few channels in the seventies where at late at night or on weekends they showed off they showed hammer films. They showed I remember I saw my first Jess Franklin film on a Saturday afternoon in the early seventies, Count Dracula and I, I hated it. I thought I said, This is a really bad film. It looks like it's out of focus. Christopher Christopher Lee yeah. was good as Dracula, but the rest of the film I said, this who's ever making this film is terrible. He's incompetent. Done. He
2: keeps zooming right. the camera around, and right. there's a stuffed animal. What are we doing right. here?
3: Right. There were stuffed animals, and the, the wolves in the film look like German shepherds, which I guess they really were. I said, I, I was thinking, but they, they, they couldn't find real wolves. So they had stuffed animals, which are supposed to be menacing, and, and the, the, the photography was just terrible. And I was making my own 16 millimeter films at that time. I was making short films and trying to have good photography and studying, trying to study films seriously. And and at that time, I just thought, this is out of focus. It's junk. So, yeah, I saw a few of his films and then no Paul Nashe, though. Then in the mid 80s, I started to rent Paul Nashe's films out. I rented them all out and I copied some of them illegally, made them dupes of them. I actually purchased them. I started buying them. You know, I, I really got into him and genre. And then I started buying things from gray market video dealers.
2: Ah, uh, yes, Sinister Cinema.
3: Right. I, I bought a few from them. Mainly, it was I was buying stuff from like Video Search Miami. I was buying stuff from yeah. Midnight Video. Uh, in the 1990s, ETC, which was probably the best of them. And then. Uh,
0: yeah,
2: li- Craig's company, uh, European Trust Cinema Video, was the gold standard, in my opinion.
3: Right. And I ended up writing for the magazine, the scraggs magazine. And yeah, he knew what he was doing. He gave you quality product. There was another one called Midnight Video. Bill Knight ran it. He had good quality stuff. That was the second best. And then Video Search Miami was just they just had junk. <laughs> and they're very expensive and all their tapes looked like they were 5th degree or 6th generation dupes.
2: The only good thing about Video Search of Miami is that they would sometimes subtitle stuff themselves.
3: Right, exactly right. And uh, they had stuff that no one else had either. But, uh, so I ended up spending a lot of money with them. They had stuff that I couldn't find anywhere else. And then I just got sick of it so I said, even the stuff they've subtitled, even the best stuff just looks so bad so I had to stop buying stuff from them. And I just bought it from ETC and Midnight video, and then Something Weird video, I started ordering stuff from them, like old Ed Wood films, and, you know, uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis, like uh, you know, stuff like,
2: like a, that. Like a, a cult movie nut, you know, searching around for new thrills.
3: Right, yeah, exactly, and I was going to, and, and of course, that's when Mike Rainey was still alive, I remember talking to him on the phone a few times, and he was a good guy, and I knew that he wanted to put good stuff out, and he, and he did. So I, I bought a lot of their stuff. Collect. I rented a lot of their stuff. Collected a lot of their stuff. Collected a lot of VSO. I've still got some old video search of Miami tapes of old cult movies, which still are not on DVD or, or the, the, they actually had some movies that are still that never had a legitimate or never had any kind of even video release. They had no official video release in this country.
2: Not even VHS.
3: No, not even yeah. VHS, and not even, um, and, and and not VHS, and not DVD or Blu-ray. Okay, there's still a, I've still got a number of their movies which have had no release, like Paul Naschy's Howl of the Devil.
2: Which I mean, it's let's be honest, it's not had a video release anywhere.
3: Right, right. It's I think I might have had one in Spain. I, I'm not too sure. Did they, no, think,
2: it uh, it has not.
3: It has not. Okay, and that's I think. The, uh, you know, Video Search Miami. They had a subtitled version of that. To me, it's one of his more interesting films. One of his best films. It's like
2: I think it's plays, brilliant.
3: He plays all the horror characters. He plays the Wolfman. He plays Marquis de Sade. He plays uh, the Devil. He put, he, it's it's a great film, and uh, I've still got the Video Search of Miami subtitled copy of that. And you can't. It's never been released on video, never on DVD. I mean, I wish it were released on Blu-ray and somebody would do a commentary you guys could do a great commentary on the national cast but no one will release thank that. you but but no one will release it who's gonna release
2: um, it well I, I i could tell you why um we may never see a real release of howl of the devil um and the reasons are the the disastrous circumstances behind the financing of it and the tangle of rights to it um yeah uh, about once a year i contact uh sergio uh, molina who's uh you know who's Nashy's son and who's kind of in control of the legacy and, and kind of oversees everything and about once a year i talk to him back and forth and go hey any movement on how the devil is there any possibility and he kind of chuckles and says no 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 and it's probably never really gonna happen and um that's a it's a damn shame because there's really good work, not just from Nashi who does an amazing job. I mean, Sergio's in it as well, right? But, uh, and he's he's good in it. He's good in it too. But also Caroline Monroe and Howard Vernon right. and yeah, it's just a shame. We're probably never gonna see a good version of that. The version that exists out there on the bootleg markets is from the one time it was shown on uh, Spanish television in uh, I think 1988. And that's
3: it. Yeah, and that's the version of Video Search of Miami. Got a copy of. They subtitled it, and that's what I have. And I've yeah, been wa- that's
2: I've, what everybody has.
3: I, I've been watching that tape. I, I think, and I think that was. I think that's one of the first movies I bought from Video Search of Miami. And I think they came. I think they started business in 1990. So I've I've been watching that movie since 1990. <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's, that, that's how many years. Um, at at ten. Twenty what? Twenty-eight years? Oh yeah, I. That that's a twenty-eight-year-old VHS cassette, which I've watched many times, and I, uh, and I'll probably watch it again this year in 2019.
2: Oh, I, I long since transferred my copy over to a DVDR just to make life easy.
3: No, I haven't done that yet. I should do that, but um, I, I should get a, I, I, I think somebody might actually have it on D V D
2: R Oh, I'm sure somebody's out there selling as good a copy as you can get, but, you know, you don't have sh- to do that.
3: Right, right. But I would like to have a DVDR but I've still got the tape and I still watch it. That's the only way I can watch it. I mean, and there's no, and there's no way you can get a good, you know – High definition copy of that. And that's one of no. that's one of my favorite European cult movies. One of Paul Nash's, I think, two or three best movies uh, that he's that he's made.
2: And it's no, I agree. Well, stuff. just uh, because I've got you here and you brought the subject up, what uh, what would be your three or five favorite Nashy films?
3: Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I, like I said, I really I, they just in the last two years they've they've just released two Paul Nashy Blu-ray boxes. Okay. Box set and I'm do very, tell. Yes, you probably know about that, and you don't <laughs> And I, I didn't get the first set. I heard there. I guess there was a some problems with some of the one or two. The set I got the second one, the second set, and I was just very impressed with it. It's got uh, two of my favorite. I think The Hunchback of the Morgue is probably my all-time favorite because it's it's a different character. It's not a, were- mm-hmm. a werewolf character. It's a very macabre hunchback type story and. Uh, it's just very well done, very macabre.
2: It's great gotten, performances.
3: Great performance by Nashi playing this really pathetic character, doomed character, and it's it's very grand guignol. Very gothic, and I think I think that's my favorite. Um, my favorite of his werewolf films is also in that box set: the, the Werewolf and the Yeti. Because you got yeah, two right. mon- you got two monsters there. It's a hoot, you know. It's it's kind of like um, it's, it's you know it's kind of like an old Saturday afternoon serial.
2: Yeah, you. it's like an old Republic serial crossed right. with a Paul Nashie werewolf
3: film. It's great. Right, and and just having those two films on Blu-ray, and they got two versions of the. Hunchback on the set. They've got a, they've got the werewolf and the yeti. It looks better than I've ever seen it. And, and those probably are probably my two favorites. so I bought the set just to have those two on there. And then Howl the Devil, of course, is good. And, you know, so those, those are my favorite. Um, like I said, I hope someday Howl the Devil comes out in high definition. I'll definitely be there, one of the first people to line up to buy it.
4: Death is on its way. Beware the Hunchback of the Morgue A slave with a body broken from torture. A maniac with crimes beyond your wildest (coughs) terrors. What kind of underground horror chamber is he building? What kind of monster is he creating? Why does he need more and more flesh? Who is he? What is his weird secret? The secret that strangles an entire city with fear? The secret you'll remember all the way to your coffin? The secret that made him the hunchback of the moor?
2: It sounds like now what we're talking about when you're discussing um, ETC and Midnight Video is we're up into the 90s, which is really the heyday of VHS, uh, bootleg companies, uh, gray market stuff. This is the era in which I became a fanatical cult movie collector myself. My question to you becomes, did you fall into my favorite trap of the 90s? Did you ever become a Laserdisc collector?
3: No, no, never. And you know oh, why? Because no, why? Why? I, I knew people who were collecting LaserDiscs at that time. Right. And they were more expensive than... Now, LaserDiscs were before DVDs. Oh,
1: yeah.
3: They, they were in a gap between VHS and DVD. I think laser Discs started coming out when?
2: 92? Um, the 90s. early 90s, yeah. Okay.
3: And I was collecting... By the early 90s, I had hundreds of videos. And, yeah. Uh, I was pretty pleased with my collection. You know, there's there's some movies I actually bought like in the late '80s and early '90s. Some t- that I still haven't watched. I have so many of them. And They're still on video. I have never watched them. A few. Uh,
2: I, I have not, that problem with every format.
3: Right. And I. And I. Yes. And DVD. And there's even some new Blu-rays I haven't watched. i just looking at the time. But uh, no, because I, I had a friend who was collecting them, and he said these these things are ex- expensive and. In, in the big, you know, I mean, if you bought a film like The Exorcist or The Godfather, those things are like $100, I guess,
2: some people... Oh, trying. yeah, the, the prices were ridiculous, but Laserdiscs were the introduction of extras. Right. Because that's where you started getting commentary tracks and isolated music scores and things like that.
3: Right. Yes, but they were just too expensive for me. My friend was telling me, geez, I'm spending this much money on this one and this one. And oh, I, remember yeah. got, I remember he got the make them die slowly that one he was raving about that one and, yeah
2: and,
3: and now now i've got the blu-ray set i've got the blu-ray box set of that which is the same thing basically it's, it's actually got the same with commentary. more
2: stuff actually
3: right well more a lot more stuff it's got the Lindsay commentary burrito lindsey he's passed away now he's gone now and the uh, the you know giovanni radici commentary and uh, i've got all that now in a blue red so I'm glad I held off because I couldn't afford it then and I had a feeling that it was going to do something very temporary about it that it was not that it was not going to last that it was not going to be around I just had that, yeah. that you know did you ever had that voice inside that says <laughs> no, don't do this hold back That that's what I had
2: well one of the reasons I jumped on board was because well you can see the film's widescreen which was something right. that was driving me crazy that you couldn't just made me nuts right And also the extras, but I was also uh, there were stores near me that rented them. Right. So I could rent them and make copies on videotape of stuff. Uh Also, there were some music stores that had uh, bargain basement cutout laser discs like they did with LPs. And so I was able to get a lot of them for cheap. We're talking like $10. So you could really quickly just start going through those bargain bins and find all kinds of stuff. I'm sure. So, you know, nothing fuels a fanatical collector more than realizing that you're getting something for you know a quarter or less of the price.
3: No, I, I had a chance to get into it, and I said, maybe i would just go and buy one of these players and get them. But another thing, I didn't like the size of them. They were huge. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. they were LP size, right? I mean, yeah, you know.
2: and maximum of an hour of information on each side, which means <laughs> you're gonna means have you, to flip the film over no matter what.
3: That means you have to take maybe an, un, or an unwanted break. And I, m- I remember reading reviews of them, but like, by Tim Lucas would review them, and sometimes he would say like, "Well, this has a break in a really bad spot." You know, it's like yeah, it's like you know, it's like it kind of ruins the whole thing. And I would take, I would say, "Gee, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, like that," you know. And, uh, <laughs> Because I read reviews of them in Video Watchdog, and they wrote they had excellent reviews of them, and and they said some of these are really great. But I said to myself, no, if I get into this, I'll spend a lot of money, and I already have the videos. And then if this goes heads up, if this goes, you know, belly up, I'm sorry, if this goes belly up, and it did, and some and somehow these become obsolete, then I'm going to have all these huge, you know, LP shaped objects that I'm not going to have any room for. Because yeah. I was living in an apartment, I was living in a small apartment at that time. Now I have a, now I live in a huge house. I have a huge living room, a huge dining room, a huge bedroom. I have a huge kitchen where I have a TV and B C R VCR and, and blu play. I mean DVD player installed. I have a huge back porch in front. I have a lot of space, but I still don't have, I still am pretty tight with my. I have so many DVDs and videos and related stuff. I still it's it's still tight for me to i just was rearranging it over the christmas holiday boy i i didn't have any space for the damn things they were just too big space
2: for me is space is always at a premium and i understand that but here's the thing i still have some laser discs uh and a
3: player that still works well then you can watch them
2: (laughs) well yeah and i occasionally do Uh, Uh um The the laser discs I've hung on to are things that still haven't come on come come out on DVD or Blu-ray at all. Uh-huh. Bet uh huh. They- I Yeah, there are a couple of uh, old Republic serials that I've kept for several reasons. One, I I love them, but like a couple of them have these really long commentary tracks over the entire serial. Wow. And you know, I hope that that will. You know, I would, it would be nice if that eventually came out on DVD or really ray but it's been 20 some odd years now
3: yeah I, I, I love the old Republic series i've got I've got a few of them I've got the uh, I just watched the Undersea kingdom I think that's Republic series
2: um I can't remember if I, yeah that was that's a 30s one 1936 right 70. with
3: Crash Corrigan Lon chaney juniors in it. yep wonderful I've got um SOS Coast Guard I'm not too sure if that's Republic Bell Lugosi that one's on DVD. And I've got I've got that on DVD and I've got the Undersea Kingdom uh, both on DVD. But they, they don't have commentaries. <laughs> okay.
2: No, no, sadly not. But and, you know, I mean I would just I would be happy to have these things come out so that I can get my hands on them again. And there's some well, Laserdiscs also had the problem of laser rod. So that I've had a I've had a few really choice pieces of the Laserdisc collection just deteriorate into nothingness.
3: I've I've heard of that. That's see that's one thing about that's one think about DVDs, they usually, they, or Blu-rays, they usually last. It's, it's, although I've had a few go on. I've, I've had some instances with Blu-rays and DVDs where they just, after, after a certain point, they'll fail and they become unplayable for some wow, reason. Wow, really? But not very often, very, very few. And um, they're hard to, and video, I've got a, I still. videos, of course, can, can break, but I've still got a lot of old videos which are still playing. <laughs> a lot of cassettes.
2: Yeah, I, I, I currently don't have uh, a VCR.
3: I've got five of them. <laughs> I've got one in each room, including the kitchen.
2: You're reminding me of the uh, the old thing Harlan Ellison used to say, which is he always continued to write on a typewriter because he knew he could fix the damn thing if it broke.
3: Right, right, and that's good. Right, I would, Now, that's another thing, right. I've, I've, I've had, like, uh, I, I, my... Uh, Power recently. Once so I'm, I work on a laptop now. I have to get a more elaborate laptop. But yeah, I I, I, I used to enjoy writing on a typewriter. Then I had an electronic typewriter. But I like the old-fashioned Harlan Ellison type of typewriter, the old the old Raymond Chandler type of typewriter. <laughs> you
2: know, he was, you the know? kind that says I'm an actual writer, damn it.
3: Right, right. And I, I, well, you know, that, you you really can't work like that anymore. But it was great to do that.
2: So when dvd dvd came along in the late 90s were you uh, were you on board fast or no, did you wait around no very s-
3: no very i think i got my first dvd player believe it or not in 2000 it was after the 90s and what happened was i would uh, I, I had a friend who had them i would go over at his place and watch them but i held out i, I still had a lot of videos and uh, then i finally did get one it was, it was i think it was in 2000 and i remember the first dvd i got what the heck was it? I think it was a uh, was a spaghetti western. Uh-huh. It was a Sartana film with George Pilton.
2: Wow, we're we're really tracking well because the first DVD I bought was before I had a player. It was uh, Mario Bava's Rabbit
0: Dogs.
3: Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, that was and so the that first one was an Italian film. And then I think my second or third one was, I think it was a Mario Bava film. I can't remember which one it was. And then I started to buy. There was a store called Media media play near me and I used to just go there every week and buy three or four or five six DVDs
2: I'm, I'm with you I know what you mean I even uh, worked for the company for a little while trying to get that employee discount going
3: which company was that Uh,
2: well uh, Suncoast and media play were the same company oh, so oh,
3: I didn't realize that right and yeah, when,
2: yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: When, when media play closed that was devastating for me because I used to I used to just get all my DVDs there, and they they had the they had the early Synapse DVDs, they had the Blue Underground stuff from the early two thousands. That's where I used to get all my DVDs, and I would get a few at I would get some at Best Buy. I mean, Best Buy used to carry like
2: they used to carry all kinds of stuff. stuff.
3: I mean, that's where I got my Blu-ray of uh, Erotic Nights in the Living. My, my D- I, that's where I got my DVD of uh, Anthropophagus. Okay, that was it. Wow, really? I, I yeah. got that I got that the old the old now we got it on Blu-ray but I got that I think it was Media Blasters at um, at Best Buy and I yeah, got
2: yeah got, Me, um, I think they carried that stuff well I mean it was a Best Buy that I was picking those uh, Paul Nash double features that were put uh, out by uh, oh darn it jeez oh, now I can't even remember the name of the company
3: Right, I remember that. Right, right, right. And they they had like at Best Buy they had Jeff Franco films. They had, uh, and then of course Borders. Borders. Yeah,
2: now I worked for Borders for five years, so right. yeah.
3: I mean, that was the, that was my favorite bookstore. It's very best bookstore that ever existed. I guess Barnes and Nobles, it's a great bookstore now, but they were great. I used to go there and have coffee, meet friends, read yeah. books, lounge. There, read books. I, w- I
2: would go there, do the same, buy a samurai movie. You know.
3: And I I got an awful lot of things there, and um, I actually bought, before I got my first DVD player, I bought some DVDs there in the late nineteen I think nineteen ninety nine, then I think it was January two thousand I got my first DVD player, and I already had some from Borders, and then I would just go there, and that's where I, and that's where I got. They would have they would carry all the Josh Franco DVDs that were coming out, Joe Damato. They would carry um, all the Jellos. They had everything. Borders. It was great. It was devastating when they closed. When they closed. They, they, them Borders and Media Player were my two, my two go-to places.
2: Nowadays, of course, I think, much like all cult film collectors, we buy all our stuff online. That's really right. the only way to do it.
3: Right. And I, I, I'm not a big purchaser of, through the mail, but I do... Uh, there's actually a place locally called SoundGuard where they have Blu-rays and and DVDs, which I buy, they do sell stuff like that. But there is it a used place? No, it's a, they have new DVDs and they have they have new Blu-rays. Okay, like a, and and they've got a lot of used DVDs there, but they do have a pretty good selection of new stuff too.
2: Well, one it's, of the more exciting things for people like you and I who are so into the Eurocult stuff is that uh, it happened in DVD, of course, but it's over. It's just expanded. With Blu-ray, which is your cult really obscure stuff, even is nowadays big time on on the format. Right. Which is really odd when you think about it, because it's such a niche thing, that people have found a way to make it profitable. I guess.
3: Right. Right. No, definitely. I mean, most of, most of the stuff I get today, I order through Amazon, okay, and I get it delivered to my house. You know, like uh, I got the Paul Nashy box in it. I got the recent Blood Island set, you
2: know? Oh, that Severin set
3: is fantastic. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it was very expensive. That's the most I've ever paid for a DVD set, but it was very much worth it. it uh, four it's four movies. It, it's, it's four movies with tons of extras, and I really, really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed the Paul Massey set. That was rather expensive, too. And I'm very glad I got it worth every penny I paid for it. I got, like, the... Uh, uh, you know they had a lot of great DVD releases, uh, Blu-ray releases in the last year. Uh, I, I basically went or something. I tried to get it on Blu-ray. So like I got Dennis Hopper's last movie was released on Blu-ray. You know. Oh yeah. But yeah. I wrote a review for I wrote a review for Amazon. My the one review on Amazon is my review. I was the first one to review it. That's I remember seeing that at the theater. In Seventy-one I was here for a few days. Uh, disappeared. Dennis Hopper never li- lived to see it on DVD, but it looks great. <laughs> and the, the, the first Acid Western or the second Acid Western after El Topo.
2: Yeah, after El Topo. And um, you
3: know, they had a great D, a great Blu-ray, and a lot of the, a lot of the Blu-rays also have DVDs in there. So you get like a, you get like a Blu-ray and a DVD. That's why I keep saying DVDs, because a lot of these you have a Blu-ray, but they also have a matching, they have, they have a DVD where you can watch it on DVD in case you your Blu-ray player breaks or something. <laughs> I like that. I like companies that go to the trouble to do that. They give you a Blu-ray and a DVD and they give you, you know, I like commentaries and videos. And so, and one of the best releases of last year was uh, the Joe D'Amato film Death Smiles on the Murderer. Arrow you know? mm-hmm. films, they have DVD and mostly Blu-rays. They, they do great Blu-rays now. You know?
2: Well, you, you bring up kind of in a sideways fashion one of the best things, in my opinion, about uh, the move from DVD to Blu-ray, mm. which is that uh, this stuff has remained backward compatible. So, right, if you have a Blu-ray player, your DVDs are just fine because it converts into something that looks as good as it can for you know a, a less than high-def disc, mm-hmm. and uh, they're maintaining this as they well. As they try to shove us toward four K, which I'm resisting, by the way. Right. Which is good because it, it it allows you to to maintain your collection with you know only one machine. Although of course I have two machines because I have to be able to uh, play discs from all over the world. Right. Now, have you um, delved into other region Blu-rays?
3: Yes, I have. Well, I, I had uh, I had two all-region players, both of which didn't last that long for some reason they they both died of me so i have now i don't i do not have all region capacity at this time so i'm gonna that's gonna be my next investment to have an all region player but i don't have it at this time i I have had it in the past and i do have some you know region two region b uh uh, dvds and blu-rays which i can't play at the present time but um, I, I did. That's a very good investment for people like us. Definitely.
2: Oh, definitely.
3: Yes. I, I'm just going to find one. Just have to. I just have to order one. But uh, basically now, I mean, a company like Arrow, they're releasing stuff that was only available like in other regions. Or they have a. They have an ambitious. They have an ambitious release schedule. So I think we're going to be seeing companies like them and Mondo Macabro, and maybe Severn coming out with stuff that hasn't been available before or only available in other regions. So I think we're going to be we're going to be seeing like a standardization.
2: On, you know, well, maybe so. Uh, I think it's exciting. You uh, you have finally moved into providing extras for some
3: Blue companies. Yes. Uh, yes, I recently did a... Last year I did a... I wrote and narrated a, a video essay on Severn's release of The Sadists of Notre Dame. A very important 1980, Jess Franco film Mm-hmm. it was only about seven minutes or so but where i could talk about the film very in a very very compressed version of the film where i could just run through a lot of things about it with graphics so that was very nice to do i enjoyed doing that and i've done i've done liner notes i've assisted dvd companies in finding stuff and yeah. sometimes sometimes finding video for them that they even copies of other versions so yeah I've i've done that type of thing i would like to do more of that basically
2: Oh well, you know, I'm hoping that if Severin continues to do what they're doing, I'm hoping that your your connection with them allow you to continue to do right. those kind of video essays. I right. think that's great.
3: Yeah, I like doing them. Um, you, uh, you do full length commentaries. They're they're a little bit more challenging. There, you got you got to talk for like you basically yeah. you, you got to keep you've got to keep people interested for like an hour and a half or two hours.
2: Well, it's not that hard. There are two of us, so it allows right, yeah. us to bounce ideas off of each of other. Right, each each right. other. It's 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 better that way. I think.
3: Right. I think just to hear one person talk into into it's kind of difficult to hear just one person doing you know the talking through uh, through one through one film. Okay, just hear, hear
2: Although I mean, so I, I I listen to a lot of commentary tracks, and and I don't have a problem listening to those comments. I um I just recently. Um, Listen to the. uh, Larry Cohen has done commentary tracks for all three of his It's Alive films.
3: Ah, okay.
2: And uh, it was amazing to listen. I, I listened to him going through the third one. And man, it's just, it's very instructive. And it's just him. And there are moments when he's, you know, there are some moments when he's not talking, but. it's gold. Everything he's got to say is just incredible to listen to. Right,
3: right, right. And I think I think when a director does it, that's that's the best. The, yeah, when, yeah. Because they were there, you know. And um, I, you know, I, I like to have the actual director uh, just talk. Uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis a few of them too. And,
2: yeah, yeah. The, you know, and David the, Friedman. Those were always entertaining.
3: Right, very entertaining. I mean, they made the films, so you know, they they you know they're, they're great to listen to.
2: Well, um, you, you've you've talked about how. Uh, some of the well you you told me earlier that your favorite movies of this past year were both on streaming services
3: well now that's another aspect of this cult movie now we've moved we've gone from uh, seeing movies at the drive-in we we talked about earlier that's where I was introduced to a lot of these seeing them on Saturday Afternoon and regular broadcast TV in the 70s to, uh, to the VHS era to the DVD era to the Laserdisc era which you got into more than I did Blu-ray here, and now we're into this whole thing where everyone's talking about streaming platforms. Is physical media better, or for you, or uh, is streaming better for you?
2: Or- I will always prefer physical media,
3: right? And I was saying that rhetorically, but yeah, I know that. I, I, really, I'm most cult movie people, and I knew you were going to say that, probably would prefer physical media. I personally yeah. prefer physical media, and it's ironic because uh, I have. Um, the two best movies I saw in 2018 were on Netflix. It was Orson Orson Welles, finally released. The Orson Welles movie, which was finally released, The Other Side of the Wind, it was edited by a group of people, Bob Morawski, Bob Morawski, Academy Award winning director, very good guy, um, who's done a lot of great work on restoring old movies, cult movies. Did a great job of editing it, and he was helped by... John, you know John Houston stars in it, who's another great director who passed away. But Peter Bogdanovich, who helped with it, and some film critics just did a great job. It's a fascinating movie. John Houston gives a great performance in it. It's, it's brilliant.
2: It brought me yes. to tears.
3: Right, it's it's a movie about movies of the past and movies, how movies have changed nowadays. It's about the. It all ends as a drive-in. It deals with the drive-in aspect of it. It deals with how old Hollywood movies are. It's an amazing film. Wells right.
2: was still ahead of his time.
3: Right, and, and and the movie is in many ways about what we've been just we've been talking about for the last hour and a half. It's about the evolution from mainstream movies to cult movies. And ends in a drive-in to people watching this cult movie or uh, by a crazy director to a drive-in, you know. Yep. And, and then it moves beyond that to uh, the whole thing being released on a, a digital, you know, streaming platform, which is Netflix. Yep. So yeah. So and. Uh, and it took it took Netflix to get the damn thing done. Right. And Netflix had to put up millions of dollars to get it all. They had to buy the rights. They had to buy the rights from, I believe, Oja Kodar, who was female lead in the film. Who didn't want to really have it released, I don't think, because she was. Afraid. I don't know
2: why. She's gorgeous in it.
3: Oh yes, but I think she was nervous that it was going to be botched, and then she would look really bad, maybe. Ah. Be be critic be criticized for you know being, you know having a bad release of the film, or maybe that the people didn't know what they were doing, but. Yes, yeah, well, the, I
2: can understand fearing that you're going to mess up Wells's legacy.
3: Right, and she didn't want to do that, so they, she had to be given some assurance that she, and I think she had some saying that also when she co-wrote the script, and she's great in this. she doesn't have any dialogue, but she co-wrote the script, and she's a fascinating figure in the film, and it's, it's kind of the ultimate art uh, Hollywood film, uh, art Hollywood cult film, art old Hollywood, new Hollywood cult film, reborn in the Streaming digital age, you know, and it's a fascinating piece of work. And I thought it was the best, most original thing I've seen all year. And I saw I saw it on Netflix. Now, I didn't have Netflix. I had Netflix a few years ago, and I didn't like it because they had some cult movies on there. Then they took them off, and there was nothing I really wanted to watch. I don't get into like their 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 their, their you know original productions. I, I don't like original their original productions they produce. And they have a lot of movies there which I've already seen. And then I had some technical problems with getting the streaming right. And I was back and forth with talking with them and gave me a few free months of it. And I said, I just don't want to watch it. Really so. But I got Netflix again for one month for free to watch that movie. And I watched it six times. And I wrote a review of it on my Cinema Drone website. You can read the review there. And uh, it really knocked me out. I thought it was the best movie of the year. And uh, the second best movie of the year, I thought, was The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which was yes. a, oh, a Coen Brothers, kind of a surreal Western. you know.
2: It's brilliant.
3: <clears throat> which uh, uses all the Western cliches in a whole totally new way. And it's uh, <laughs> it's 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 funny. It's weird. It's fascinating. It's sad.
2: It's fascinating. It,
3: it's very sad. And it, it's an anthology of short stories which go through a range of emotions yeah, it, it, it's parts of it are horrific. Parts of it are uh, moving. It's, it. I I,
2: it's got one of the best laughs I've got for years <laughs> in right. movie. One that, one line of dialogue that just nearly put me in the floor.
3: Yeah, what line of dialogue was that?
2: Uh, well, I don't want to. I don't want okay. to. a line of dialogue from uh, from James Franco. Ah, uh, okay. And I think when I say that, you'll know what it is. I don't want to ruin it for people who haven't seen the film yet.
3: And I, I just think that the Cohn brothers have a really far out sense of humor that I can relate to You know v- very far out. It's not a mainstream sense of humor at all.
2: I've been in love with their work since Blood Simple and Miller's Crossing.
3: Right, right and yeah I mean I, I, the Big Lebowski is just to me a masterpiece, you know's
2: Oh yeah, easily uh, one of the best films of, well of their career, which is saying a lot.
3: Now I saw that movie at, at the 90s at an almost empty movie theater. Because that that was not a well that was not a big commercial hit, and now and now when I
2: saw the Big Lebowski, I was in a, a pretty packed house. I don't know I don't know if Nashville's just weird,
3: right? No, I was in an almost empty movie theater up here. It's it was not a big commercial hit, but now it's, now that's a cult movie.
2: Mm-hmm. Did you have you seen? Um, well, did you get to see Hail Caesar, which I no. thought was genius?
3: No, no, I wanted to, but that <sighs> it's I
2: amazing. Them.
3: They're real cult movie fans themselves. Okay.
2: Hail Caesar is—it's almost—it's not, and it's almost an anthology film about uh, 1950s Hollywood.
3: Uh huh. Right. No, I've heard.
2: its it's, it. its incredible. You need to see it.
3: What I like about them is they have that whacked out sense of humor. It's definitely not a mainstream sense of humor. They have a, a gravitas to them. They have, they have. Uh, I like the way they shoot things in a totally original way, and uh, they just seem to be really. They're into the same kind of movies we are, basically. they same kind. Yeah. The, the, they make cult movies for big screen, but even they had to go to Netflix to make this type of movie, I think. You
2: know? Well, this could not but, have... There's no way it was going to be an easy sell. I mean, a Western but, anthology
3: film? Eh, you know. It, this movie would not... If it was at movie theaters, I don't think it would be draw. I
2: don't think it would be a hit, no. It's,
3: it's just too odd, but I like... It's odd in a way I really like, so... Yeah, so that was good. But now I got rid of Netflix again. Praise them for what they did with the Wells film and for giving people money, but for me, I'm I'm satisfied with Prime, Amazon Prime. That's my that, that's the kind of streaming platform I feel comfortable with. I can afford 10 bucks a month for that. I can't what afford
2: What you find on there, some of the most obscure Euro cult stuff. I mean, stuff that I've never heard of in my life. Right. And you you've you You've gotten me to watch a couple of them, and, and, and for a couple of them, I kind of want to strangle you. But <laughs> for instance, okay, explain to me the film White Fire.
3: Oh, that's a, that's a, it's a well. First of all, it's Turkish. <laughs> I, I, I love
1: Turkish. It's Turkish.
3: Culture. Yeah, it's, it's, I thought it was, it was made, French. No, no, no. It was made by a French director, but it's it's a Turkish production. It was made in Istanbul, Turkey. And it's just a hoot, I think. You know, uh, it's got it's these, nuts. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's fun. It's got Robert Ginty in it, and it's a, it, it's just an, an ultimate kind of bad fun movie. Okay, and uh, it's really so bad that it's good. Now, that's what, it's not not a
2: great or good movie. Oh think. no, it's not a good movie.
4: It's
3: it, kind it, of it, crazy. It, it, it's it's a crazy Trash epic, filmed and financed. In Turkey, it's, it's a Turkish film made by a French director, Jean Jean Marie P- Piardi. He is co. It's a French-Turkish co-production made totally in Turkey. Uh, I mean, look, oh, we should it. we
2: should tell people it's from uh, like
3: 1985, right?
2: And, uh, and it's really strange.
3: Very strange, and Fred Williamson's in it. <laughs>
2: yeah, and yeah. In it. He,
3: he, he appears in it. And I mean, Robert, and
2: he's great in it, but then i love Fred Williamson in anything. But it's okay. such a bizarre film. And and it, I mean, you've got a radioactive diamond. Right. You've got – okay, by the way, White Fire has to have the most convoluted way to have a brother and sister team have sex with each other but not actually be brother and sister. It's right. weird.
3: Uh, yeah, exactly. In, in the plot. I've seen the film about uh, four or five times. Three or, maybe three or four times I saw it. I've saw it, it was on YouTube for a while. And I saw it there then they pulled it. I saw it once or twice on Prime and I still can't figure the plot out, okay? Oh, <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> it's 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 incoherent. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it um, but but it's it's just so much fun. You got to watch. It's like it's like your old trash wad bill. That's what call
2: it. But now, here's the thing, and I'm not alone in saying this. One of the best things about the streaming services is, yeah, I'm always going to prefer physical media. But right. the great thing about streaming services is that it allows you to see things. You know, It allows you to walk – it's almost like walking into your mom-and-pop video store in the 80s, throwing down a $20 bill and saying, I'm going to rent everything I want for the whole month. Right. Right. And that way, you can experiment. You can play around. You can watch the first 10 minutes of something to see if you give a damn right. about it and move on. Right. And in that respect, find some stuff that you might want to own if there's a
3: good version of it. Exactly. I mean, I don't know. I mean, n- 9 out of 10 people would probably watch White Fire and say, okay, I saw it. I'm not going to buy it. I mean, I, w- I don't even know if – it, it, you probably, it's I think it's available on the DVD somewhere. Probably I, I don't even know if I would buy it on a DVD. I've, I've seen it a number of times. I've written about it. It's fun. I don't need. It's not something I want to see on like a Blu-ray or four K. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't know. I could probably get suckered into it, especially but, if somebody if some crazy soul decided to, to do a commentary and try to explain the thing. Right.
3: Well, I would love to do a commentary. But, Wouldn't uh, it be then, fun? Right. But you know, there's a ton of movies like that on, on, on Prime, and I'm as long as I'm paying for it, I'll, I'll, I'll get it. i am just sign up for a year again, and um, I'll see a lot of, like, I'll watch this Annihilation, which I didn't get a chance to see on the big screen. So, yeah, physical media is my preference, but sometimes, for me, streaming is a way to go for, like, Amazon Prime is a place to go for streaming. And another thing, there's going to be more streaming services coming up. I think I think Warner's Starting a streaming service, Disney is starting a streaming service, so there's going to be a Criterion. A criterion is starting a streaming service, so there's, there's going to be more and more streaming services, and, and and probably they're all good. I mean, Criterion would be one that maybe I would sign up for if I get sick of Prime. Maybe I'll go to that one, but I don't want to be. There, there might be like ending up being like I, have, I predict it'll be like about four or five out there, big ones by this time, by this time next year, and I'm not going to be. I'll subscribe to maybe one,
2: (laughs) but I can understand that because like right now, uh, a lot of my friends have uh, subscribed to this service. That's uh, basically just horror movies and it's a very curated uh, streaming service, But, but I can't, I can't justify it.
3: Right. Yeah. You don't want to get too curated either. You know, like, like, like once again, I, if Criterion came out with it, I might go with them. and quit Crime for a while, because everything Criterion releases is great. Crime's got tons of good stuff, but once again, some of the other ones, like I don't D- Disney or Warner, uh, I might not be. I don't think I'd be watching them that often.
2: <laughs> no, so, no, but I mean, so, you know, with the Criterion stuff, generally, that's that's where I really want to own the physical media.
3: Yeah, exactly. And I've got some Criterion stuff. I mean, I don't. They're a little bit more expensive, but I don't mind spending money on their stuff.
2: Well, I, w- I wait for the half-off sales twice a here at uh, Barnes and yeah, Noble. But,
3: right, then you get you can go there. Yeah, I've have gotten a few like that myself. But yeah, I'm I'm I'll stick with physical media and Blu-ray is is going to be coming out with more. There's going to be more and more stuff coming on Blu-ray and 4K. You know, transfers of great stuff, and I'll just stick with that for the time being. And,
2: um, and right now we're. We're in a wonderful time.
3: Oh, right. There's so much
2: stuff coming out.
3: Right. Well, once again, there's some stuff that maybe is never going to appear, but there's stuff that I never thought would come out, which is suddenly available.
2: Is there anything – there's been a lot of announcements the past few weeks. Anything that you're specifically looking forward to being able to get your hands on?
3: Well, in the last couple weeks, I don't know. You know, there's just – there's a lot of stuff that I'm probably going to be getting this year, and it's going to depend – I take it on a case by case basis, okay? You know, if it's something I'm going to buy, it's going to be something I want to know that I buy something so I can return to it, and watch it, and rewatch it, and rewatch it. That's why I want to buy something. I just don't want to watch it once. Buy it, and watch it once, and I'll never watch it again, okay? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Uh, I, I want to buy something that I know that I'll be. It's going to have to be something that I know I'll be revisiting maybe a few times a year. At least a yeah,
2: year yeah. I just picked up uh, the Criterion Red River and that's, that's just one of my favorite Howard Hawks films. And, right. You know, I've already watched it who knows how many times in my life and now and now I have the Blu-ray and it comes with it comes with the book the story was based on.
3: Right. Right. Yeah, very famous novel. Right. right it's based on a, a novel written in the 1940s or th- 30s or 40s. Then.
2: Well, Mr. Monell, I want to thank you again for coming on here and talking to me when I contacted you. I wasn't sure you'd be willing to uh, talk to me. about uh, It's it's such a, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I love having people on the show, but uh, some people are uncomfortable coming onto a podcast. Some people just have no interest. And I'm just so thrilled that you're willing to sit down and talk to me.
3: Well, I've enjoyed doing it, Rod, and best any guy to talk with. And,
2: uh, well, thank you. I, well, I knew, I knew from all of your stuff that I've read for decades that, you know, we were very, we were very much of a type. Uh, there's, regardless of you know slight uh, differences of opinions on certain films here and there really line up very effectively yes so uh, once again thank you for coming on the show um, is there uh, any place you'd like to point people toward before we leave?
3: well one of the things I, I'm really proud of is my Cinemadrome website it's uh, C-I-N-E-M-A D-R-O-M-E just google it and it'll give you like the uh, URL and we have We've had like 4 million visits there in the last 8 to 10 years. There's hundreds of cult movie reviews on the website. Not only of the movies themselves, but the DVDs, the the Blu-rays, right up to the present. Like my, my most recent review of the Orson Welles film on Netflix is on there. Uh, right oh, yeah, it's
2: it's a great resource.
3: And my review of the DVD, of the, the Blu-ray of the last movie, other DVDs that haven't been on Blu-ray yet older DVDs older Blu-ray releases and then just old reviews of conversations detailed conversations we've had with various people on just directors and uh, French directors Italian directors cultural directors just tons of stuff on there you can spend like hours on there so the Cinema Drome website just google it and also uh, please check out the new edition of the brand new magazine Soledad S-O-L-E-D-A-D published by jeremy rishi the publisher of art decades a wonderful magazine which was around for a few years and i was publishing soledad it came out january 1st check it out on the amazon i have a, a short science fiction story in there which i'm very proud of called subliminals it deals with virtual reality alternate reality space travel and uh, even cinema i was very influenced by like i said some of the great uh, older science fiction films and uh, some of the cult movies we were talking about, science fiction writers like uh, William Burroughs and uh, Philip K. Dick, very, very, very good writers who very much influenced me in their writing style. So please check that out if you can and enjoy doing this, Rod, and thanks again.
2: Well, uh, this has been great, and uh, one day we're going to have to sit down and just talk exclusively about Jess Franco.
3: Great. Love to.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much, sir.